What is going on, everybody, and welcome to the debut episode of the Potables Power Hour. My name is Dan Morgan, and you may know me from Process Potables, the flagship Sixers podcast uh, that I've been doing for a little over two years. We are looking to break into the Twitch community. We are looking to try to take on live, uh, you know, Philly sports talk shows. Try and compete with something like an ESPN and NBC Sports. You know, maybe compete's not the best word, but provide an alternative for people who are sick of all the hot takes and all the lack of insight and people that don't really watch the games. We have an incredible team of people um, who all have their various specialties, um, but for the most part are, you know, diehard Philly people. Um, you know, we have, unfortunately, there's a Patriots fan uh, amongst the ranks, and we'll deal with that at some point. And there's a, there's, there's some, <laughs> there's some Cowboys fans, and, and, and we'll deal with all those things. But uh, I do want to introduce the panel we have tonight. We will rotate the panel. We are going to drink beer, which is kind of part of the brand here. Uh, we're going to talk about some betting. We're going to talk about UFC, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers. And week to week, that'll change. We'll get the Eagles, we'll get the Union, uh, some WWE maybe. Uh, you know, whatever we really feel like talking about, whatever you want us to talk about. So obviously, if there's anything you want us to hit, we probably have somebody who can come on and talk about it. So we'll give it a go. So uh, I'm going to open it up to the two guests that happen to be in the podcast paradise with me today. And that is Bobby and Rob. And so guys, I asked you in an attempt to get everybody to know each other a little bit better, if we could come up with an icebreaker. So the icebreaker we came up with was we're going to Google icebreakers and pick one that we think is a good idea. Yep. So, uh, Bobby, if you want to start, what, what was the uh, – introduce yourself and what was the icebreaker? It's your boy Bobby Dubs, longtime 4 for 4 Philadelphia sports fan. The icebreaker I found was what one thing could you see the person wearing that you met on a date that would immediately make you get up and walk away? Oh, Crocs. Easy an- – Yo, Crocs do not hate. No, I, I do. And if I if a girl ever showed up – uh, I, I hated it, and then I got them, and they're comfy, bro. I, 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 tr- I tried them. I did. And I like it, it, it felt oh, weird even putting out. my feet in them. But, so wrong. But, missing out. <laughs> but, but no. No, I mean, if a girl showed up in Crocs, it would be. Uh, For me, it's Cowboys anything. I don't care if it's a <laughs> handkerchief. I got to go. I'm not sitting here with I'm you. I'm going to be pretty surprised if the girl shows up in anything sports, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely got to run if it's the Cowboys. Uh, Rob, what about you? Uh, it's kind of similar. Uh, the one I found, and just because of how many I did, uh, it says, um, what was the most embarrassing fashion trend that you used to rock? I guess it wasn't Crocs. Uh, it was not Crocs, <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, no shame in the, the emo phase not being a phase, but I mean, I had the, the, the Liberty Spikes, I had a Mohawk, I did the Benji Madden teardrop eyeliner, like, yeah, oh, ev- any, anything and everything, Oof. yeah, it was, it was rough. Uh, I'm actually glad that my parents have some pictures, but I'm fairly certain they burn most of them. Uh, that seems like probably the best thing for you. Yeah. Bobby, what about you? Uh, mine was, had to be, had to be the mid 2000s. So I was like an older teen, you know, early 20s. it was the long ass t-shirt phase. Remember oh, that? Just giant five white X yeah. white tee and blue jeans. <laughs> yep. I'm walking around there like I, for years, I didn't even know what my size was. Cause I was used to buying t-shirts way too fucking big. I'm like, dude, I was buying three, four or five X's. Dude, you're an extra large max. What the hell are you doing? And then joining us remotely, 
we're going to bring on Jeff here. Jeff, introduce yourself, and I think we have to get you caught up on a couple of these, but uh, what, what was the one that you chose first? So the, the thing that I chose was the most embarrassing gift that you've ever received, and for me, it's a $5 Wawa gift card. What, what can you do with a $5 anything card, but a $5 Wawa gift card? Like, what, are you just going to go and just spend $5 at Wawa? It's impossible. You have to just grab everything off the shelf when you go. Even if you make a sub, you're going to, when you go buy the pretzels, you're like, oh, I need one of these too. I need to go get a drink. What's, what are you going to do with $5? If anything, I think that kind of says, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you, man. Um, with a uh, with a five dollar gift card, I assure you that you can not only get a great meal, you can get a half gallon iced tea and one of the pretzels off the warmer. And to me, that that's pretty decent. You know, is, is it what I'm always going there for? But it, five bucks will cover it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just built different. Maybe I'm just like, <laughs> what, what's the worst gift you guys ever received? Crocs. <laughs> that's not even a fucking Joker callback. It's absolutely. Oh, so you crack. actually got them? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Crocs is a gift. Okay. Yeah. For me. I think it would have to be I got this cereal bowl for like those freaky weird people that pour their milk in first. Ew. And what? then the cereal like half of it is for the milk. The other half of the bowl oh, is for no. cereal and it's it is like topsy turvy, so it's like elevated a little bit so you can scoop the cereal into the milk. I'm like, why the hell no. did you get me this? What? <laughs> I would have literally looked at that person and just like like a cat just kinda like pushed it off the table and just like watched it shatter and just be like, You deserve this. No, I, I couldn't do it. She sleeps next to me. See, that wouldn't. That wouldn't oh, work. Okay. Oh, no. yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you better use that bowl twice exactly. a week. Exactly. Oh, this cereal's delicious, honey. I love it. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, this past Christmas, and God, I hope my mom doesn't watch this, but I go, I go to my mother's house every Christmas morning, and you know, I'm a grown man. I don't expect much anymore. But I go, and, and everything she gets me is fine. I'm pretty happy with it. And then I come back home, and she calls me. She says, "Oh, we forgot to give you one of your gifts. We're driving it over now." And I'm like. Okay, another gift. Yeah. Probably pretty cool. Uh, yeah, her and my uh, like eleven or twelve year old sister now uh, walk up and hand me a shirt, and I don't. I think there was like a a lion or a tiger on it, and it just says "hangry," and that's it. <laughs> oh goodness! And as soon as I closed the door, I gave it to my wife and said, "Throw this away." Oh man! <laughs> like that's not even a gym shirt. That's not a sleep shirt. That is a goes in the trash shirt. I'm sorry. I don't understand. Oh man! What what the hell that mom, was? Mom, here's this. I have no son. Yeah, that, that, that's fine. Sorry, mom. But the uh, the the one that I chose was what sport would you compete in if you were in the Olympics? Which really, my answer is pretty much anything where I don't have to run would yeah. would be there. So I don't know. I could do like a sumo contest. Uh, I don't know if they do like a cannonball thing off those really high jumping boards, but I'd be great at that. Uh, or I could definitely play basketball as long as it's half court. I would, <laughs> I would love if like somehow you made it to the Olympics, like in like did. I would everything. love that too. Well, but just just strictly for like you know part of the high dive thing is to make like the least splash possible. If your entrance is perfect. Oh, so, so, so that would be so amazing if like you did everything you could to make it to the Olympics. And then every time you went off the high dive, it's just a can. Yep. <laughs> just like zero, like z- yeah. a, a 0.5. Like what, what the fuck do we give you? Like, <laughs> exactly. you uh, we're actually going to call the police. Yeah. <laughs> you got the whole crowd wet. <laughs> you won at nationals. Like what? what how, did, <laughs> like, how did you do that? Yeah. So, uh, well, what about you guys? What would you do if you were at the Olympics? What would you participate in? Uh, humble flex. I was actually really like, mm. like Here we pretty, go. pretty, pretty damn good at um, discus in uh, high school. 
uh, my junior it, and senior that year. Just frisbee, it, pretty, pretty much, <laughs> except you have to dance a little first. So, oh, uh, but no, I I, um, I, I did a I actually competed as a senior in high school at the Penn Relays uh, with the collegiate teams and everything. Uh, didn't come close to winning, but uh, to even be considered, that was cool. So yeah, so you're gonna dance and throw a frisbee. You goddamn right. Got it. Okay. Oh man, Bobby. For me, it's not even close. It's curling. Me Hell with a broom? Yeah. Forget about it. I'm right there with it. I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm turning that thing out. Can you skate? Gonna be like, <laughs> yeah, I can skate. See, I can't skate. Bobby, Bobby with a broom. <laughs> exactly. Bobby with the broom. Bobby brooms, man. Exactly. I got the whole brand and everything. The broom heads in the stands. <laughs> the broom heads. <laughs> Jeff, what are you doing at the Olympics? Water polo. Water and not, polo. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not because I'm good at it. But they, they don't have, have horses in there, do they? Because I think horses eat <laughs> water. Yeah. Have you ever watched it? No. Yes, I watched it. I watched it. Is, it. It's pretty crazy. It is looks like hell. And I just want to experience it. I just want to see what it's like because it looks pretty damn bad. I don't know how those athletes do it, man. they got to be in incredible shape. I mean, I imagine most athletes that make it to the Olympics are in incredible shape, so good, so good for them. Yeah, but. but the treading water while you're throwing the ball back and forth above the net, that, that shit looks hard. You could have stopped it at treading water. <laughs> exactly, I'm out. Yeah, I would just be doing cannonballs again. We've already exactly. covered this. Like, why is he- right in the middle of the game, I'm just like, cannonball. <laughs> but, so... We do have a, a lot of topics tonight, so I do want to start getting to that. We are going to start off with the Phillies, but before we do that, we've got to talk about one of the beers we're drinking. So we're going to start off, and I'll uh, introduce this for us here. This is a brand new release from Cape May Brewing. This is a variant of their Corrosion Sour IPA, which is in my top five beers of all time. So you can see it here. So this is a key lime corrosion. So it's a fruited sour IPA instead with that key lime pie kind of flavor. So it gives it a little sweet on the front end until it hits you in the back with this dry, hoppy sourness. Um, If you've listened to any pods on this network, you know sours are a big thing for us. Uh, So this was definitely going to hit the menu. And when Cape May announced this, I was so happy that they put it into distribution. You can see here as well that we've got... Bobby and Rob pouring theirs and some nice glassware, as you can see, as we try to Ooh. try to support some of our local brewery friends. We got Axe and Aaron, Axe and Genius yeah. there, uh, amongst others, put on the table here. So, uh, cheers, guys! And then Jeff's got just got his beers uh, with him at home, and he'll be talking about one of them later. So we'll make sure to get Jeff included. But uh, that the only difficult part of the remote aspect is we're not able to share our, our lovely, lovely beer with Jeff. So sorry, Jeff. But uh, that's that's I'm, later than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm not too big on the sours as much. There's definitely some that I enjoy. Uh, this one, this one I actually like. Um, I, I feel like it's kind of, um, it's like normally I would say, you know, especially a fruited sour, I would kind of say like how much percentage of the fruit do I taste versus how much is it just like a sour beer. Yeah. This Because this is a sour and an IPA and it's fruited, I think it's like perfectly distributed between yeah. the thirds. Like I feel like it's one third key lime, mm-hmm. one third sour, and one third IPA. So you're not overwhelmed by the sour or the fruit yeah. or the hops. It's just this nice balance of everything, which is very impressive to me how they were able to perfectly yeah. blend like three things that could easily any of them be the overpowering factor. They're all very equal in this beer. So it is good in that six point five percent from our friends at Cape May. So cheers everybody if you're hanging out. We're going to jump into our first topic of the night, which we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. And the question that I kind of wanted to ask everybody here 
as the Phillies are starting spring training now, they've got a couple games in already. Uh, we're you know hoping to get some more uh, time to see you know the bigger names who start coming in a little later, like our uh, Bryce Harpers and our JT Real Mutos and whatnot. But last season, another disappointing season for this Phillies yeah. team. And they brought in a couple big names. They're, they they have this long-standing Bryce Harper contract now that they said, you know, this isn't it. And Bryce said he was going to recruit people to Philly. And so far, you know, he doesn't really have a running mate, so to speak, yet. And we heard all that talk about, you know, they, they were going to spend, you know, crazy money and insane money. And there was really no limit. And then it seemed like they walked that back really bad. And we're like, you know, we're not going to just throw money at the wall. It's like, no, that's literally what you said. And now we're kind of just stuck in limbo. And it almost feels like you paid Bryce Harbor to keep us interested. But were you ever really planning to spend enough yeah. to build yeah. a contender around him? And I don't know. So when you look at last season, you know, what do you, what do you think was like the biggest thing that went wrong? And looking forward to this season, do you think they've improved the team, whether it be at that issue or just in general and why or why not? So, uh, Jeff, I don't know if you want to start us off here. With, oh, yeah, what definitely. do you think about that? Yeah. Last, last season, what went wrong was that bullpen. It doesn't take a genius to spot that out. That's one of the sure. worst bullpens I've seen in my life and probably one of the worst in history. Um, but the question is, did they improve? Well, Absolutely. I mean, anything was an improvement on that bullpen, but to kick the season off, the all season off with uh, Archie Bradley, um, I mean, that's going to be great for the back end of the bullpen. Um, he can close. Um, he brings a great attitude to the locker room, so I think that'll be great. Um, I think the relationship between him and JT, as we've seen on social media already, um, just really connects. Uh, and I, the Phillies didn't stop there when it came to Archie Bradley. They added a couple other guys. Um, I wasn't thrilled with uh, Jose Alvarado or Sam Coonrod. I'm not thrilled on those picks. But Brandon Kinsler, I think, will be a surprise benefit to the pen. Uh, he posted a 2.22 ERA in 24 games last season. Um, I think he lifts the, clubs out, the club out of the cellar. Because um, I think right now the NL East might be the best division in baseball. Um, but after, after Kinsler, the Phillies weren't done. They signed David Hale, which is another quiet signing. You know, he played 11 games last season. But I, again, think he will be... Um, oh, we're, we're having some connection big, issues. And another, oh, sorry about that. No, um, another big, another big sign that I liked uh, was Tony Watson out of San Francisco. Uh, he posted a 2.5 ERA, and to me, I think that's the most important stat that you can have is the low ERA. And he did that through 21 games last season. And I think with the additions to those of those guys, I think the ceiling, what is for this club, um, could be in the wild card hunt. Um, because I think their offense can compete with anybody. I think they have a very good top three uh, in their rotation. Um, not going to go ahead and say, hey, there's Phillies playoffs hopes this year, not by a long shot. But I think they could contend in the wild card chase. Um, and we could see what happens from there. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, my, I think you kind of nailed what my biggest concern is with the Phillies this season. And it's not even necessarily the Phillies. is that the rest of the division is really good. And I think that's going to be something that gives them problems, not only because it's going to be difficult to come out of it, but you play the most games against the teams in your division. And historically, they kind of struggle against most of the teams in this division. It seems like the Braves always have their number, even when they're not that good, and they are very good right now. The Nationals continue to just keep spending a lot more money than pretty much everybody in the yeah. division. The Mets now, with like new ownership and everything, are are looking to become spenders. I don't know 
you know, if I'm if I fear them that much this year, but I have the feeling that they're they're gonna build something soon and they're gonna spend money and people are gonna go there because it's New York, and the Marlins are, are the team every year. They people project them to go last, and then they come in here and sweep us in April, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and and I really don't think that this team has done enough from last season to this season for any of those outcomes to be any different because the bullpen's the only thing I would say is better. And I don't know how much better it is. And the biggest concern I've had with this team for the last, I mean, since we actually expected them to maybe be okay the last three years, it's been the the bottom of the pitching rotation. It's the fact that Vince Velasquez is still a starter for this team, a guy who has trouble getting out of the fifth and is throwing 100-plus pitches in five innings. And they, they keep having this rotating thing. We don't know what we're going to get from Spencer Howard. Zach Eflin's been an up-and-down kind of guy. And even Aaron Nola, ever since the season where he should have won a Cy Young, has, like, he was never projected to be an ace. We got really fortunate he looked that good for a certain amount of time, but... He 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 really isn't. I'm not sure he's an ace. I don't think he is. Like him and Wheeler are probably both number two pitchers. So you don't have a one, and you really don't have a three, four, or five at this yeah. point. It's it's a it's a big mixed bag, uh, kind of messy situation. And every season it feels like we're like, well, the starters can get by, and the offense will be really good. But this offense is full of guys who are streaky, like. Like Bryce Harper can have ten games that make you remember yeah. that he, you know, was an MVP candidate, and then he might have a month where he bats two twenty two and doesn't hit for power, and you're like, well, you know, we're 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 giving this guy like half the goddamn bankroll, like, and <laughs> yeah, that and was going to be my point. Yeah, no, go go ahead, Bobby, jump in. Yeah, like, uh, to me, like we all know the bullpen was high garbage, but to me, the offensive inconsistency is what bothered me all year long. Like, you would have days where the bullpen actually had their act together and you couldn't score any runs. Or <laughs> Nola would have a gem and he would pitch a great game. And then, again, you couldn't score any runs. Yeah, which was like, it's Ham- it was Hamill syndrome it, all over. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, we know they can score runs. They were fifth in the league in runs scored last year. We know you can score runs, but it's these inopportune times you choose to do it. You need to be consistent with this offense. I need to see more from Reese. I need to see more from Kingery. They got Didi and JT back. I need to see these guys consistently hit the ball, put it in play, and put runs on the board so that I don't have to worry about, uh, all right, can the bullpen hold this? Or if, if the bullpen blows it, can we still fathom runs in the later innings of the game? They need to be consistent offensively for me because last year they just didn't do it. There were too many times where they actually got good pitching and then did not score. Yeah, I'm sure statistics will go against me um, since I'm not looking at them. I didn't you know, look that up just going off of our conversation, though. Um, I feel like not only uh, to Dan's example of uh, just having – potentially 10 good games and then a whole month where you might be off. I also just feel like the the Phillies, at least last year, always made me feel when I was watching them, like the beginning of the game, it was just like, all right, here's some hope. Got a couple runs on the border, at least like we're hitting well and everything's looking good. And then it's like usually by like the fourth or fifth inning, I'm just like, motherfucker. <laughs> like, like and I, again, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I, it, it could be, statistically it could be the opposite like they probably you know scored more runs in the later innings last year and I'm wrong but just you know the games that I watched throughout last year's season I was just like all right cool yep we're doing good you know like at a bar drinking at home and just having a good time and then then I'm drinking because I'm sad you're absolutely right 
And to add on to that, I think what could help this offense with their consistency would be a consistent batting order. You know, you get that five-year run when the Phillies were, you know, from 07 to 11. You knew who your leadoff guy was. It was Jimmy Rollins. You knew who your cleanup guy was. You knew where Chase Utley was going to bat every single day in the lineup. He was going to bat third. You had that, those set lineup orders. And I feel like even last year, we were still playing musical chairs in the batting order like we were doing with Dave Kapler. Um, I personally have a, a thought for how they can really reorganize that lineup. Um, I think McCutcheon and Segura, and we saw this again in the Orioles game, when they those two bat one and two in the lineup, I think if you can get one out, you're not going to get the other out. If one get, if McCutcheon gets on first, you're not getting the double play there. So somebody will be on base for Bryce Harper to step up, which I love him in the three-hole. Um, and I know Reese, he strikes out a lot. Um, I know he's been having his struggles. Um, but I think consistently giving him the cleanup spot um, and having JT bat behind him, maybe he can give Reese some better pitches to look at. Uh, with JT behind him, Reese will probably see more fastballs, more fastballs in the strike zone that he can swing at. Um, but if you take, you know, if you take him out of the four hole and don't have anybody, you know, that can hit behind him, then Reese is going to be swinging and whiffing. Um, I love. This is going to be a little bit of a shock, but Kingery, when he was batting seventh behind Jay Bruce, um, I thought he did great, and he did do great with those statistics. Um, I think he was batting uh, in the high 200s, and I like him. If he does win the center field job, um, I like him in the seven hole. Um, and Bomb, you know, we we can hope to see a lot of good from him batting eighth. And, of course, Didi in six. I think in that top six with that lineup, I think that top six is as good as anybody in the National League. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I think they've struggled with is they haven't been able to find a, a consistent leadoff guy, and McCutcheon is is good for it. The problem is, is you know he's getting older, he's often hurt, and that's what generally has thrown this lineup into chaos is the fact that they just don't have the guys that can go out every day. And then if it's not McCutcheon, then uh, you know it's Kingery, and then there's always a shift in center field. We don't know if we're going to see Hazley. We don't know if Odubel Herrera might actually get a shot. Which, uh, you know, by the way, it's completely fucked up that he even has an invitation <laughs> and is still on this roster. Um, you know, I'm not even going to entertain the idea of having a conversation about that. That's just what it is. But I think the the one thing I agree with you the most, like I, that's probably the exact way I'd have the lineup, not to like you know, cop out or anything. I think you nailed it. I think the worst thing that has been experimented with a lot and like needs to end is having Reese Hoskins bat like second, like please stop putting him in in a one or two spot. It's not going to work for him. And we've seen obviously the flashes that Reese Hoskins has. And we know he's struggled a lot since really coming onto the scene, but you're right. Let him consistently sit between guys like Bryce and JT, where you know, you're going to get protected when you go back and think, you know, you mentioned Chase Utley three, and then Howard four, they also usually had like Burl or Ibanez, you know, yep. like five, six. Yeah. And for like, you know, those guys not being like, you know, all-star type players, like they were just super consistent and they were mashers. Like you feared them. Like, you know, Burl was like a 25 to 30 home run guy. Ibanez was putting up 25 to 30. Most of those seasons he was here, yeah. even as he got older, like they they've had legitimate protection. And I think one of the biggest problems is, you know, needing – like Didi to be available more to offer that, you know, six hole protection and not needing to shift JT up the lineup because of injuries and move him around, let him sit in the five hole. I mean, he's probably too good to be in the five, but like, that's just kind of where it's going to work for this team. But if you can keep that consistent, then this offense should actually be as good as advertised. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, spot yeah, on. Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, well, I think we, I think we covered the Phillies there uh, pretty well. We're going to move on to the Flyers, but Jeff, do you want to talk to us about what you're drinking since you're not able to partake in the uh, Key Lime Corrosion with us? Yes, uh, so this is from Blue Earl, which is uh, local in Smyrna, Delaware. If you haven't had a chance to make a trip down there, I highly recommend it for an awesome time. Um, this is a Clockwork, Clockwork Orange Pale Ale. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's incredibly smooth. Um, very fruity, but not like you know, overwhelmingly fruity, um, but it's very, very smooth. Um, the content, it's only a 4.9%. So, I mean, you could take a whole sixer down if you were having that kind of night. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> when I've, is it not I've, that kind of night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when is it? Yeah. When is it not that? Uh, I made the trip so, down there. It's uh, a great time. Am I wrong that I always pronounce it Smyrna? Is it Smyrna? Smyrna, Smyrna. Oh. Is, is it not Smyrna? Smyrna. Are you thinking of Schmegma? <laughs> okay, this is a whole Smyrna? other thing. So, getting onto the Flyers. So, before last night's brutal loss Debacle? to Pittsburgh, yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, they had won three in a row. Mm-hmm. And when we were figuring out, you know, what are we going to talk about on this episode for it, I was like, man, like, we're going to have to talk about how the ship is going down and how, like, the season could possibly be over. And then I look, and they were 11-4-3, now 11-5-3 after the loss last night. Back-to-back shutouts until the Pittsburgh game. You're getting guys back off the, the COVID list, which was mm-hmm. a big problem because there's one point where I think they were missing, like, 11 players, including guys like Drew and yeah. Voracek and JVR and whatnot. So... You know, the Pittsburgh game maybe throws a wrench in it, but are we, like, kind of overreacting to, uh, you know, already a negative perspective on a team that seems to be doing pretty well as far as keeping up in, in the, in the uh, division and in the East? Or is this just a case of, you know, we're, we, we see our young goalie having some struggles, and because of the history of Philadelphia hockey and goalies not showing up, is it making people, you know, possibly paranoid already? Like, like what is it? Is this team, you know, one we can believe to make a run like we did last year, one we can get behind that rallied to be the number one team, you know, at the end? Or does this kind of feel like this is almost like that team coming back down to earth because of a lack of offseason improvements, the loss of Niskanen, uh, a lack of uh, a bigger step from Carter Hart? You know, how do you guys kind of look at that i don't know if uh, rob you want to start yeah for, us. Uh, for for me honestly I, I mean when you have fans like ourselves who are going to look at certain statistics when it comes to the sport and it's not just a casual like i watch it because i enjoy it and i'm from the area so i like the flyers you know <clears throat> i think one I, I think the big issue is us as fans and just uh, history sadly repeating itself, and that's what we're fearful of. Um, are there some blatant issues? Yes. Is there some defensive issues? Absolutely. Uh, but for the most part, when we're looking at the season so far, when we're looking at the end of last season, like you just brought up, Dan, uh, I, I think they're all doing good. Like we kind of talked about earlier, they're not specifically doing great, and there's certain players that we're expecting and have those expectations to do a lot better than they're currently doing. We're doing good, and I I think that us as fans are uh, getting a little too concerned this early on because we're only doing good because a lot of the people that we're expecting to be top performers are also just doing good. So it's it's really just us as fans getting a little ahead of ourselves, but at the same time, um, when 
are those certain players or the team as a whole? Uh, when is it going to click? Or when are certain people you know, going to become great or show us the greatness we've seen from them in the past? And that, of course, is going to give us some hesitation because if we're waiting for that to happen and maybe it never does, you know, it's just like anything else in life. If you have so much hope and expectation and then it doesn't happen, it just hurts a little bit more than when you're kind of going and not expecting much. So I think last season gave us a lot of hope. New players gave us a lot of hope. Some older players that were on the roster, new line positions and changes and them performing better gave us a lot of hope. Before, we didn't really have that much hope for for a long time, so it wasn't really that disappointing when disappointing shit happened. Now that we have that hope, it's kind of like, okay, like now it's not going as well as we hoped it would, so I, I think we're we're all kind of in our own heads, but yeah, there's definite improvements that have to happen. Yeah, like 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 you were saying, I think Rob hit it like hit the nail on the head. We're living off these heightened expectations because of what we saw last season, and especially the way the season went and the time frame. Like they were the one seed because of that run they went on at the end, where they knocked off all the other teams, and they were the one. But we don't know if talent wise, play wise, were they really the best team right, yeah. in the conference? I mean, I, I think everybody kind of knew they weren't exactly. Yeah. And then when we saw when they went up against America, and then they got put out, and you saw, you know, there are weaknesses here and there, but. As fans, as, you know, spectators we see, we're like, all right, we can only go by what the numbers say and what the, the standings say. They were supposedly supposed to be the best team. So you get your expectations all the way up here that they're going to be right back at it. It hasn't been that long since that season ended, which True. also plays with your mind and your expectations because, all right, they can just pick right up. They haven't been not playing for, what, two, three months? That's sure. it. And then, all right, you'll think they'll just pick right back up. And then when they don't, you're like, oh, well, no, this is the disaster. And then you got that Philly mindset. It creeps in. Uh, uh, but, I mean, all oh, the man. teams are dealing with the schedule. Exactly. It, it, it's no excuse for it. Okay. Jeff, what do you think? Well, I think fans have a right to be a little bit panicked. Yeah. And I'm not blaming the Flyers for it. I'm blaming their conference. I mean, they play in by far the most difficult and toughest hockey conference it's ever been. You know, they don't have just, you know, three or four good teams in their division, which only the top four can make the playoffs. They have five to six really good teams in their division that can just compete up and down the ice. And I know a lot of pressure has been put on Carter Hart because his stats haven't been as great as last season. But I'm going to come out and say it. The Flyers have the best one and two tandem goaltenders in the NHL. And if you look at what the Flyers are doing offensively, before the Lake Tahoe game, they only won in the shots column twice. They were outplayed in most of those games, and it was their goaltenders that were bailing them out and helping them get wins. Um, the defense has been dreadful, and we saw it again last night. Now, the three-game win streak was something, but that was also against the worst team in their division in Buffalo, which you know they, they're one of the worst overall teams in hockey. But we saw last night, you can't turn the puck over in your zone that many times and expect Carter Hart or Brian Elliott, who's also been playing great, to bail you out every single time. You know, I pull up a stat, according to StatHead, only 44% of their even strength uh, faceoffs are occurring in the offensive zone. 55% is in their own zone. You know, you can't really build a success in this division. Maybe in another division, but in this division, with that bad of a defense. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it was because they didn't fill the shoes of Matt Niskanen. Um, I think maybe they were hoping Gossespierre would fill those shoes. Maybe Limblanc could step up. Um, but... 
I mean, Niskanen was a great, great defenseman, it was. and they and they haven't filled those shoes, and we're seeing it on the ice. Yeah. I questioned that trade so much, mm-hmm. yeah. and and boy was I wrong. I was so wrong. <laughs> Niskanen was so important to this team. He was such a good partner for yeah. Provi, and you can tell that like Provi is like a little bit lost out there this season without him, which is a shame because like Provar's a talent. I, I'm not Absolutely. worried about him necessarily, but he definitely still could use like a veteran running mate yep. with him. You know, like we had like Kimo Tiemann in for all these years, who was always great for that, who was always good to put along a, a young guy and be the fail, you know, the fail safe for him, things like that. I never thought I would say this. I'm, I feel sick to my stomach saying it, <laughs> but one of the things I look at that is clearly the struggle for this team is that they're not taking enough shots. They're they're the second worst team in the league in getting shots and. Is it, is it because the they fans might need there? the fans <laughs> to well, show up and yell at them to shoot? <laughs> because they need some encouragement. Because apparently, when the fans aren't yelling at them to shoot, <laughs> they actually don't shoot. <laughs> I have stood on the hill and screamed at this city for yelling that so much, and I've almost gotten in the fights at games for telling people to sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up and stop telling them to shoot through three defenders in the way of the net. But maybe maybe this is something that they need. Because when you look at a lot of the other things, you know, they're not awful. Like, they're still a great face-off team. I think they're seventh in face-offs. We've seen flashes from the power play. They're definitely falling uh, back. I think they're, like, right around league average on the power play. I think they might be a little under. Uh, the well, penalty kill has been, been awful. but I think the power play this year. Hmm? The league has been, like, better than usual on the, uh, on the power play. Like, 25%, which is usually considered good, is considered average now yeah like like the blackhawks are the best team in the league and they actually convert one in every three which is ridiculous that should not be a thing and we're talking about through 23 games now so it's not that small of a sample size you'll still likely see a little regression on those numbers but three teams are over 30 percent that's kind of ridiculous but the the point of the two goalies i i do think that that's true but i think you have to kind of talk about saying that they have maybe the best one-two punch and say it's like it's that's more about Brian Elliott than it is Carter Hart right now, and that's what's kind of scary. Is yeah. If you were like, yeah, Carter Hart's like a clear number one, and you have this great backup, then it'd be like, great, that's amazing. But right now, it's kind of like you know a lot of years we've seen from the Flyers before, where they kind of had this two-headed goalie thing, where neither seems like you could really trust them in a seven-game playoff series to make every start and feel confident, but then. When you're rotating guys back and forth, it's hard for them to get in a rhythm. A lot of times you'll hear you know guys complain about not getting regular play. I remember last year toward the end of the season they had a uh, they had a regular season game uh, toward the end with the Capitals and they decided to start Elliot over Hart and I was losing my shit and Elliot ended up playing great yeah. but I was just kind of like you know if, if this kid if you don't want this kid in this situation like what is what is that saying? And again, I was I was wrong, but it's one of those things where I almost worry we we want to give Carter Hart the keys to the car, mm-hmm. and and I wonder if it worries him that whenever he plays bad, Elliot can go in there and look really good, and it's like uh oh, and especially this season, like even Hart looked bad last season. I never thought it was like oh no, like something's wrong with him. Yeah. Like it was just like okay, like maybe it's it's not your night every night. This season there are some unbelievable goals going in on him that that should not be going in really bad mental mistakes getting beat short side 
um, you know, like staring it down and getting beat. You saw the play last night where I, I, he was trying to like go to the bench, and, and that's not really on him, but it's just one of those things. Like when you're down, these kinds of things happen, and and it's been really unfortunate. And I just like once they they had the back to back shutouts and one three in a row, I'm like, okay, like maybe they can build on this, and then all of a yeah. sudden you get embarrassed in Pittsburgh, and you got to go do it again tomorrow night. It's mm-hmm. it's a little bit concerning to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean. Again, I, I, I'd like to think that for myself, like I said earlier, I'm just kind of in my own head about it, thinking too much into it right now. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm staying optimistic. Uh, I'm just trying not to get my hopes up. But, you know, of course, like for all of us, you know, we, we want them to succeed. It's just, you know, we're we're aware of those those clear issues. And um, for me personally, like I know they're having trouble shooting, but uh, I, I definitely think that it's it's defense and that, that that's going to be a great place for them to start if they can make some changes and get some drafts in. And before we run Carter, Howard, Carter Hart out of town, let's just remind this kid's barely old enough to drink a beer. He's 22 right. years old, you know, <laughs> Listen, and I have all the, the faith playoffs in the world. I'm not year, trying to run him that, out of town for the record. <laughs> that, uh, that playoff series against the Islanders last year, the fact that they went seven games in that series, they were outplayed for, just about every period, except for maybe three total periods in those three wins, and those yep. were the first periods. After that, it was like, okay, let's cling on to this this lead, yeah. but we're going to cling on to it in our own defensive zone and just hope Carter Hart right. can make forty to fifty saves tonight. And he did. And, and, and he did. <laughs> yeah, and he, he, and he did. got. He pulled out three uh, amazing overtime wins in games. They were outplayed in all seven games. Yeah. And the fact that they made it that far, you got to credit that to Carter Hart, who again is. 22 years old he's younger than every analyst and every fan criticizing him right now (laughs) (laughs) so let's give this guy a break before we chase him out of philly you know we've we've seen that he's he's been shaky okay we you know we can admit that but he hasn't been terrible you know when the defense plays well in front of him and doesn't turn the puck over and give the the opposing team a clear line of fire right in his face he plays well you know, and when Gossis bears that pass in the, uh, the puck to another uh, Penguins player right in front of the net, he's playing well. Yeah, but when I, you have these bad, unforced turnovers, it's just you're going to have bad goalie play. Well, yeah, Shane Gossis bear needs to get the hell off this team, and yep. it's so sad because he yeah, was such an amazing Goss rookie, mm-hmm. and it's been all downhill. So Can you imagine if he was a forward? Like, I just that's <laughs> well, an experimentation that I just would love to try. And you know, it, if he would just be a forward and didn't have to worry about playing defense, and it could just because he has a hell of a slap shot. Right? It didn't. It, aren't know? they doing that with uh, Morin? Yeah. Is he the one yeah, they're yeah. doing that with? Like, mm-hmm. why is that the first guy you're trying this with? Why isn't it Ghost? Doesn't that seem weird? I mean, there's I mean, always been talks about Ghost needing to be like more of a forward. Sa- yeah. Sa- Sam Morin, like, I mean, I. I strictly just want him on the team for nothing else, just than He's just huge. to be the aggressor. Yeah, yeah like just yeah. just finally give us a goon just that pound you know. some ass. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, go yeah. dash, <laughs> go dash, brother. Phrasing? Yeah, phrasing. Yeah. Oh man. So we're gonna move on now. We're gonna talk about the Sixers. We do have other beers we got to talk about though. If uh, we going with? Yeah, that's uh, you guys got them in front of you. You tell me, and I'll follow along. Yeah. So we, citrus IPA. Is it the Tunnel Vision? You tell me. You have it. Yeah, so uh, DDH with Citra. Double dry hopped. Ah, got it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah. pour, pour yourself there first. I'll be a gentleman. I won't, won't pour mine. 
So no no fruit or anything in this one. This is a straight double IPA. It's, it's super uh, creamy, very smooth mouthfeel. You get a lot of hops. Zippy yeah. is, is one of Zippy. Is, 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 I don't know what that zippy? means. It, yeah, uh, description <laughs> is zippy, lemon, and melon. I'm using that from now on. I don't. I don't think one of my I go-to like that. adjectives. Zippy. Zippy. Huh. Yeah. I'm not sure. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Thoughtfully like brewed zippy. and canned in Nashville, Tennessee. Guy. I'm not a zippy guy. Bearded, bearded Iris Brewing Company. All right. Yeah. Zippy. Let me know what you guys think. Sniffing like it's a fucking fine wine. <laughs> I can taste the zip. Yeah, um, <laughs> you definitely taste the zip. Yeah, the, the, you can definitely taste the, the zip. Huh? The, the zip is there. Not to call back to like one, one of the other podcasts, but like I just think of uh, what I just said. I just think of Paul when he's like, "It looks like a twelve-year age," and we're just like, "You can, you, <laughs> can, like, you can tell by looking at it." <laughs> like, the guy who doesn't drink is able yeah. to hold up a glass of whiskey or scotch and just but looks like it's been aged it twelve like years. It's been aged twelve years. How, how, <laughs> is there dust on it? Did did, did you look at? Uh, did, I don't know the fucking label. What are you carbon dating the beer with this? How are you getting it? No, it's super, super light. Um, and yes, I, I, any anything that's not like your typical Coors Miller, you know, uh, beers, like I, I tend to get my nose in there. But I, I mean, it, yeah, worried about my phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> I do tend to get my nose in that. Um, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Sixers. The Sixers are a nice. basketball team in uh, in Philadelphia. And they play basketball, and yeah. They're doing pretty good. <laughs> so uh, they are playing the Jazz right now, and as we speak, they're actually down nine, uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, there's a, under two minutes in the third, so it's still a close game. What we're going to talk about is basically, you know, outside of the results of this Jazz game, and the Nets do play tonight and have a cushy matchup with Houston, so there's a good chance they're going to win tonight. If they win and we lose, we actually fall out of the yes. one seed into the two seed. But it's still a close race. Even one or two, whatever, I don't think a lot of people had them being there at any point this season, let alone hanging at one for this long. My question to you guys, and Bobby, we could start with you, is without a major move, which would, in in my mind, is basically only Beal, Levine, or Lowry. I mean, that, those are the names that seem available. Obviously, there are other stars, but those seem like the guys that might be available. Without a major move of acquiring one of those three, do you actually think that they can hang with the Nets for not only the rest of the regular season, but a potential playoff matchup? Not without another piece. The Nets have way too much firepower. You're talking about three guys that can give you 30 on any given night. And the way it's going, yeah, you got Embiid, who's giving you 30-12 with three assists on 52% shooting. He's out there playing his heart out. And Ben will give you what... What Ben gives you, you know, around 16, almost a triple-double. But they need a third guy. They need a third guy that's going to be able to give them some points. And like you said, those three guys, Levine, Lowry, and uh, Beal, those are guys that can score for you. Even Lowry is giving you 18.1 points a game. Uh, and 25 he's points more a game than he has yeah. in his whole career. Exactly. 25 points a game if you go per 100 per session. So, and then the other two are giving you more than 28 per. So, they need a third guy. I don't think they get there. They get past them. They could get to the Eastern Conference Finals without a third guy just because of the way they're built and the, the team they may play depending on what seed they get. Like if they 
in any way are able to keep that one seed. The teams they'll get to play. You talk about playing a team like New York maybe in the second round if they continue to be the four seed, but literally have a five hundred record. Like you can you can get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but that would be your ceiling if you don't get a third guy because I just think there's no way they can hang with a team that has the file power that the Nets do. Not to mention uh, some of the ulterior guys the Nets have that shoot the three well, that defend well. So they're they're going to need another person. Jeff, what do you think? Okay, I'm glad you asked me to chime in on this one because I think the Sixers, if they don't make a move, if, which I really think they will, but if they don't, can they keep up with the Nets for the one? Probably not. They'll probably fall to the two. But let me tell you, in a head-to-head playoff match, I love this series. Absolutely Uh love it because the Nets can't play defense at all. There is no defense on that team. And I can tell you right now, yes, they have all that firepower, but going up against Philly, which in the playoffs will have a shortened bench, so no bench to blow their leads. You're going to have, I'm telling you, a six, probably seven-game thriller series where I think it's up in the air, kind of like that Philly-Toronto series when Toronto had the great defense. Um, And like I said, I think the Sixers will really make a deal, and it'll probably, if, if it's up to me, which it's not, it would be uh, trying to move maybe a first, maybe two firsts, and it'll probably cost Curry and Green to get Lowry um, with those two firsts. But you know, I'd pull the trigger on that if it's up to me. But I think that in a head-to-head battle with Brooklyn, don't be don't be scared, Sixers fans. I think the Sixers can play with them. I think the Nets' lack of defense is going to be their downfall. I love everything you said. The one thing that you would give up both Curry and Green. To get yeah, Lowry? I don't think that's actually necessary from what I'm seeing. That scares me because that's, that's two starters. You can go Green, Matisse, Maxi in the picks and See, still get it. Uh, if, if they I would accept the that, I would absolutely do it. Don't get me wrong. I, I You need Danny Green to make the money work. So Green probably has to go. But then I'm thinking like one of Maxi or Matisse, and they can pick. I don't really care. Like I have my own personal thoughts on who I'd rather move. But ultimately, I would say, you know, take your pick. Like I'm giving you one. I'm not yeah. giving both of them either for what is essentially a one-year rental at this point. You got to understand that like, like we're going to have to pay the price because they know we need the piece to get over the edge and that's what people yep. that's the other thing people don't understand is like oh it's a one-year rental oh it's a lot of money it's like yeah but they have you by the balls because they know you need it so and the Sixers are a win now team they're right. not a win exactly now. So, win now. So, so you have to pay those prices you have to understand that that forces the price to go up so I'm fine with a first with Danny Green and with whatever one of those two prospects they want and then if it takes another like End of the bench guy, like whatever, don't care about that. Even if they'd like to take a flyer, and I can't believe I'm saying this, even if they want to take the flyer on Corkmaz and just get a look at him before maybe, you know, <laughs> wanting to have his bird rights for next season if they think he's a guy that they want off their bench or something, and I'm, you know, going to hang myself if he leaves, but, you know, that's what happens. Then, yeah, I mean, I, I, Kyle Lowry is that guy. I've seen so many people saying, "Oh, he, he's always flopping and he's always falling down and he's and he's always on the ground." I'm like, yeah, you hate that fucking guy until he's on your team. Exactly. <laughs> you he's realize that every time that, that his big ass is on the ground, he just drew a charge. Exactly. Which is the same yeah. thing as forcing a steal or getting a block. So, I mean, 
I, I, like I'm dumbfounded by the people that don't think Lowry makes that big a difference. He's shooting the most efficient he has in his career. He's basically become a 40% three-point shooter, which was never his thing. He plays incredible defense, even at his age. He does all those little things. And the biggest thing this team has struggled with in like the last two minutes of close games is who was initiating your offense because Ben Simmons can't shoot. You're telling me that you don't love the idea of in a back-and-forth game just going to the pick-and-roll with Embiid and Kyle Lowry every goddamn possession oh, yeah. the same way you were doing it with Jimmy Butler, except that Kyle Lowry's not afraid to shoot the three? Oh, he, that's the main thing with Kyle Lowry. The, 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 the guy's got ice water in his veins. He will pop right. from three at a moment's notice at the end of the game and take that big shot. He has no trepidation about taking a shot and, when he needs to be taking a and shot. And we just saw in, what was the game that they went to overtime and lost recently, where Embiid had the, win, the shot to win it at the end and didn't yep. hit it? That was the uh, the first of their um, the... their back to back in Tampa. Yeah, so it's Toronto. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like we all, I assume we all agree Joel Embiid's the MVP right now. Like we yeah. know how good Joel Embiid is, whatever, whatever. But you know, and if Doc decides to call his number on a game winner, I'm fine with that. But don't you also want to have the option of Kyle Lowry for the winner? Because I sure as shit don't want Tobias doing it. I, you can't even ask Ben Simmons to do it. And Danny Green and Seth Curry aren't really those guys. You know, they get to look fine. I like them to shoot. But, you know, other than Embiid, who even by all ways that he kind of has changed how centers work, he is still ultimately a center. It, you just need that guard who's done it, who's been there, who even if he misses, you're like, whatever, Like I wanted him to do that. So there's no second-guessing it. That's the worst thing we've had to deal with for years now is second-guessing who's getting these looks. Why couldn't we even get into an offensive set? They had that brutal uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, the three possessions where they had like two yes. shot, shot clock violations and like a, an up-and-down call. Points me to this day. Yeah, it, it makes me absolutely like that's worse than the bounce to me. Is that is just the three possessions where you didn't get a shot off in a row and not even like turnovers. Like literally took you all twenty four seconds and never got a shot up. It's unheard of in the NBA at this point. So Kyle Lowry fixes all of those things. And while it seems like a lot to give up for the rental, it's not nearly the price of Levine or Beal. And I think it's a better fit. He's not as good as them, but I think it's a better fit because I don't think you need like as much like Beal or Levine. Like I don't think you need that guy who scores thirty. You have Embiid. You have Tobias Harris. Like you have Ben Simmons playing more aggressive now. Like you've got these guys that can get you, you know, seventeen to twenty two already. I'm not worried about bringing in a guy who gets thirty. I'm worried about bringing in a guy for the end of the game. And I think Kyle Lowry. I like I, Lowry's been there. The other two haven't. When, when have you seen Bradley Beal be clutch in the playoffs? Can't Never. even get there most of the time. <laughs> what do you see <laughs> Zach Levine do in Chicago? Nothing. Like, not a knock on them, and they're great. But Lowry's been there. It's the same reason I don't really want to trade Danny Green, but I know you need to do it to make the money work. So, like, that's the reason he's gone. Um, yeah, but Bobby, coming back to you. So, any anything else on Lowry or uh, just the fact that not only do you have the stuff that is the metrics, the stats, the numbers? It's the intangibles with Kyle Lowry. Now we know after, you know, what happened two seasons ago, he's also a champion. He knows what it takes to get things done at the end. Like you said, not at, not only at the end of the game, but at the end of the game in the games that matter. Right. Like, he isn't going to make the crucial mistake. He's not going to make the crucial turnover that you may get if Ben or Joel is handling the ball and not passing out of the double quick enough and getting trapped. You can depend on Kyle Lowry that if that play isn't there, he's going to go to the basket. 
He's going to try to get some contact. He's going to try to get to the free throw line. It's the intangibles that Kyle Lowry carries beyond the other two who are literally performing the way they're performing because of the situation they're in. Like you said, Chicago stinks. That's why Zach Levine is giving you 28 a game. Right. Like Washington, they're terrible. That's why Bill has the green light to go off and put up as many shots as he wants to. Kyle Lowry is doing what he has to do. Yeah, Toronto's bad too, but they also have a an offense where a lot of guys contribute, so everybody's not going to have some crazy scoring average. And he's a guy that can help you in the long run, like you said, not only at the end of games, but the end of games that matter because he's been there. He's got that pedigree. He's been in the playoffs year after year after year for the last decade. This is a guy you need to get you right there at the end of the games that matter where that's been their Achilles heel for the last two, three seasons in the playoffs. You get to the end of the game, like you said, I have nightmares about those multiple 24-second violations. I know, man. That will not happen, like you said, with a guy like Kyle and 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 lastly, like real quick, just think about the matchups with the Nets too. Like you want to be able to put Simmons on Durant. Exactly. Then you got to figure out James Harden, yep. which is probably going to take just like, you know, committee. It, yeah, like by committee. I mean, but if you have Kyle Lowry, then he right gets next. the matchup with Kyrie. Exactly. So you basically let the team defense work around Harden, who you know isn't going to get to the rim with Embiid back there. So then you force him to shoot from the outside. And his history in the playoffs is that he can go ice fucking cold and exactly. shoot a team out of a game. Like out of those three guys, I'm going to live and die by James Harden. If James Harden beats me, fine. But it ain't going to be Durant and it ain't going to be Kyrie. Yeah, Jeff, you right. got anything else before we move on? Well, no, just to go off of your point that you just said, um, in the last game when they played head-to-head, Batiste was all over <laughs> Harden. Um, Harden looked so frustrated. It was He had a bad game against Batiste when it was one-on-one with him, too. And, and that that's ultimately that's the worst part about having to get Lowry, and that's why like I definitely don't want to give up Seth and Danny Green, but the, the thing that makes me sick is that there's a good chance it might be Danny Green and Matisse, and that's really going to make the team defense a little bit more suspect, but you still have your horses in uh, and beat and Simmons, and then obviously if it's Kyle Lowry, you can trust his playoff defense as well. So uh, I'll be pretty happy with that. The last thing we're going to talk to before we get to uh, our, our fun little betting segment at the end is going to be a preview of UFC 259 with our punches and potables MMA expert here with us, Rob. But we do have one more beer we got to get to, fellas. So do you want to uh, show us what that other one we're looking at is? Yeah, this is actually uh, Bobby's. Um nickname on the weekend um when he does his other late night job it's a dark chocolate chunk uh so wow yeah you guys have some kind of relationship already i try to keep that i try to keep that on the hush rob i'm I'm trying to get more people out to your club so they can see you but there you go get them dollars get them the two all promotion is good promotion i guess exactly all right so so this is from our friends eight and sand right in uh woodbury new jersey good friends of the pod have done Several episodes there. Shout out to Uncle Randy. So this is, it's not like a boozy stout or anything. This is like pure melted dark chocolate. Yeah, you can taste it. But uh, like not bitter either. Like Mm -mm. No. It's smooth. Kind of like a dark and milk chocolate mix, I'd even say. It's not sweet enough to be milk chocolate, but it's a lot of uh, less bitter dark chocolate. Yeah, but like if you handed this to me, I, I would assume it is a stout for obvious reasons. Yeah. But like, like it, it, it doesn't hit like one usually would. Like it, it's super, super smooth. And like you said, it's it's basically just like drinking chocolate. And I don't know if this like sounds bad because I, I wouldn't like the idea in actual practice. But it almost tastes like if like hot chocolate just got cold. 
I think you're right. That, yeah. that, that's a perfect explanation. I think like, this is what like, like Yingling way. was trying to go for. They're the ones who did the, the oh, Hershey yeah. one, right? Oh, yeah, the Hershey yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it just tastes that. like chocolate milk. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. That just tastes like yeah, yeah, I mean, if it, you want chocolate uh, milk. This is the beer version. Yeah, yeah I, I've had it, and, you know, I, I didn't hate it. But, yeah, I would say, like, this to me is more or less what I was actually expecting gotcha. from Yingling's uh, Hershey one. So th- this is fantastic. This is dangerous. All right. Well, Rob, do you want to kind of set the stage for UFC 259? What are what are we really looking for uh, on this card coming up on Saturday? So, uh, I mean, the, the, the ultimately – just right off the bat, amazing thing about all of this is that the only thing I was able to find, and I didn't consult uh, Paul Ryan Hardy, is... Who's a fraud. Who is. Um, because I do honestly trust his brain more than I trust Google and my own research abilities. <laughs> what I was able to find was the last time or only other time there was three title fights in a single night was UFC 205, where Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor headlined. So... Uh, I think another one was um, in Jacobs. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know that card off the top of my head, but like just to look at the main card and see we've got Israel Adesanya, uh, big powerhouse there, uh, you know, huge name, uh, Amanda Nunez, and then you've got Peter Yan, and then the fact that um, Israel Adesanya is going for a, a champ champ status. You have Amanda Nunez who has already won champ champ status. So, you know, I'm not the biggest uh, fan of fighters going from weight class to weight class, but it does get to a certain point, and especially for Adesanya, where uh, if you are running through your division and there's really nobody else that can come at you, I mean, where else to go except for another division where you might be able to run train on them. Um, yeah, I mean, so, uh, the, the, and then the, the first card or the first fight on the card as well, uh, two huge names and Thiago Santos is number two in the division right now. Uh, Alexander Rakic is, um, number four. So for Rakic, it's more or less going to be if he wins against Santos, not only a great uh, name to defeat, but on top of that, he's probably going to not get a belt opportunity, but probably be put in that number one contender spot. Uh, Tiago Santos, he's on a two-fight skid, but even if he wins with that two-fight skid behind him, then he's likely as the number two going to wind up Uh, in a title shot and then what makes that more interesting is what you know weight class they're in and the fact that that belt is on the line later in the the evening so those two are literally looking at that fight later on after they've done the work that they've done to then say all right who am I potentially going to be taking that belt away from you know in my next fight or two fights from now Uh, so you know that that's opening the main card the second fight is the 14 and the 15 um, in the weight class. Uh, really, it's only important for those two fighters. Uh, you know, there, there's not even betting odds. I didn't think I saw last night at least for those two. So the uh, is it Makachev? Yeah, he's uh, more than a three to one favorite. Yeah, okay, got it. I, on on um, UFC's uh, app, they didn't actually have like just anything for those two. I have all the odds for the uh, main cars, so Perfect. I can help you with that. But yeah, I mean, like in terms of you know, after that, you know, usually you'll have a co-main event. It's usually not a title shot. Sometimes it might be. So what I had listed here was the co-co-main event. You know, bantamweight champion Peter No Mercy Yan uh, versus a guy who was on a nasty, nasty 
five win streak uh and what a cool name uh alhamain funk master sterling Love so it. yeah funk it's master. it's incredible i think last night they were both at minus 110 yeah they're dead yeah, yeah. Still at minus dead dead even for those two and rightfully so um peter yan is uh a knockout artist he's absolutely sneaky and will catch one up on you in the most technically proficient beautiful way but then you know funk master is he, he has just been on a tear and uh, just seems to be unstoppable. So the fact that they're dead even is spot on. Uh, and then, yeah, again, Amanda Nunez, she is uh, a new mom, uh, her and her partner. And then uh, she has that new ambition and motivation to just make that money. She, that's all she's been saying in every interview this week is, I used to fight just for fame and glory. Now I'm fighting because, you know, I want to be that role model and I also got to bring home the bread. So, you know, uh, she is the heavy favorite for a reason. Uh, and then the main I don't know if I've seen a UFC title fight yeah. with the champion minus 1250. 1250. Yeah, yeah. That's what insane. the fuck? Yep. That's yeah. insane. And I mean, nothing against uh, Megan Anderson. She is a fantastic fighter. It's just you are going up against, um, you know, undeniably at this point, the greatest female yes. fighter in yeah. fighting Pretty history. Much. Boxing, you know, different fight promotions, uh, Bellator, you know, like, regardless, she dominated Ronda Rousey. She then dominated Holly Holm. She then dominated Chris Cyborg, who nobody thought was ever possible. Everyone thought Chris Cyborg could never be beaten. And then she went in there and made her, her yeah, she just demolished her. So, I mean, that alone. And then, again, Israel Adesanya going up against someone who I think is the underdog, but shouldn't be by a lot, at least in my opinion. Jan Blachowicz is a nightmare. Uh, his hands hit heavy. They're basically cinder blocks. If Izzy gets caught by a single one, he's done. It, it just I'll, I'll call that right now. So, you know, that that's how I see that one. But if Israel Adesanya does this, you know, he is what he is, the style bender. If he can, you know, pull off his technique and dance around that uh, octagon while also landing the strikes that he's used to, um, if it, if it goes four to five rounds, Adesanya can do it. He, I think it's we're going to see a little bit more hit and retreat from him uh, this weekend than we're used to because uh, anyone and everyone should be nervous about getting even lightly tapped by Jan Blachowicz because it, it's no joke. So yeah, Blachowicz is a, is a small underdog. It's plus yeah. 185, so and it's yeah. a pretty even fight. And it's not even that because Blachowicz, he, he can finish a fight in any way. Like, oh, yeah. He spreads it across the board as far as knockout, submission, getting a decision. He can beat you in a myriad of ways. That can also be pretty scary when you're walking in the octagon. It's not just going to be a knockout. He can make you submit. Oh, yeah. He can go the distance with you. Like, he, he's scary in a myriad of ways. This is, outside of just being a Conor McGregor fan, um, like of him in the octagon, uh, this is one other time where I'm actually pretty excited to have a champion switch to another weight class to try and get a, a second belt in another weight class because I feel like these two are are really going to have to figure one another out. They've yeah. never faced each other from what um, I saw. Um, and, again, you know, Blockowitz, yeah, he can submit you. I think for this one he's probably going to, you know, try to keep it on the feet at least. Um, Adesanya has some great takedown defense, but we historically haven't really seen too much from him on the ground. So, you know, uh, I, I think this one's going to be a stand-up. I think the first two rounds are really going to be a little bit of testing one another out, um, trying to dance around the octagon a little bit and see where the range is at. Uh, but overall, again, you know, 
if if Jan can land even uh, a love tap, I, I don't think that that's anything that Adesanya has experienced from anyone else, uh, except maybe um, what Yoel Romero, uh, maybe a little bit. And you know, in that in that matchup for those two, he didn't see it. That's just the only person I can think of that might have that same kind of power. Uh, Blockowitz, if he if he lands even a little love tap on him and can get him to the ground, he he won't hesitate to just jump on him and then instead of going for the TKO, just you know wrap him up and and submit him quick. So this this one's this one's a, a really exciting fight card the whole entire time uh, from start to finish. The prelims are pretty great as well. So I'm 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 pumped. Awesome, man. So, yeah, make sure uh, UFC 259 is on Saturday. The prelims are at 8 p.m. The main card starts at 10 p.m. Uh, we will have an episode of Punches and Potables next week recapping that. Uh, we'll probably talk about it on the uh, official debut of the Potables Power Hour as well. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, the last segment where if anybody has any you know final thoughts, we can get that out there. We can, um, If you have anything left from what we've talked about that you didn't get off your chest, do that. But we're also going to talk about some betting a little bit, which we uh, touched on a little with the UFC thing, but we're all going to give um, you know at least like a player or two we like from something that you should be able to get to, uh, whether it's if you're watching live tonight or maybe some for the weekend, especially with UFC. So this is uh, Picks and Pints. Just brought to you by Steady Picks. Uh, Steady Picks is one of the industry leaders in, uh, you know, giving out plays. The percentage that they hit, and their monthly membership is only twenty dollars a month. Which, if you've ever seen people advertising these kinds of things, a lot of times they're charging a hundred dollars for a day's worth of picks, a couple hundred for an entire season. Twenty dollars a month gets you. All their handicappers, all the sports that they cover, everything. They give out free plays. I write NBA free plays for them that you can check out on Twitter and stuff every day. So uh, there's plenty of content that they give completely for free, but $20 a month gets you all their expert handicappers. And we're going to give a couple plays out ourselves, brought to you by them. These are free plays for everybody to have. The one I like, if you're able to get this in tonight for a 10 o'clock game with Portland, is... Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors going under 17 and a half points. He's done this in four straight in seven of his last nine. And he's coming off a three-point game in which he shot absolutely brutal from the field. He's just not a very good player. And Portland actually has some guys to kind of match up with him. Uh, you're probably going to see some kind of com- uh, some kind of combination of like a Derek Jones Jr. and like a Carmelo Anthony, uh, even a Robert Covington, who we know is a great defender, uh, especially Sixers fans that remember Rocco. So uh, I'm taking Andrew Wiggins to continue his struggles and go under 17 and a half points tonight. Bobby, what do you got for us? Uh, me, I'm going mellow. I like the hot streak he's been on. Uh, they've got a nice little uh, double bet. I got mellow. 19 over 19 and a half in Portland winning the game. Okay, I like that. Rob, you got anything UFC uh, wise for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I do this, and uh, I think you have commented on it before, and I know uh, Paul and uh, Sean have also done so and said it's stupid. It's a complete waste of money. Uh, but how can you not just spend 5 or $10 of your money and put it on Megan Anderson with how big? Because it's Amanda Nunez. Well, I understand that. <laughs> but, but the return on 5 to 10 bucks, I'm going to do that. But the one you should actually really focus on is the one that I just gave a lot of hype to. 
is champ versus champ, Israel Adesanya versus uh, Blachowicz. Uh, you want to go with the underdog on this one because, again, if he connects even in the slightest, he has an arsenal of weapons to then finish the fight with Izzy. You know, it, it, it's a risk, sure, but it's not it's not that big of one. But I, I sincerely think that putting a, a decent amount on Jan is going to go in a lot of people's favor. I like that play. Jeff, what do you got for us? I love Portland money line tonight. Um, I think they're absolutely going to dominate. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't question it, though, if it went under as a total score, under 235. Um, but I love Portland, the money line. Um, and if you're into college basketball, uh, the spread's currently not out. But Delaware Hostra, if it's anything under minus five for Hostra, um, take Hostra. I think Hostra's going to absolutely beat him by uh, five, possibly six points. Um, and I think that's a lock. Love it. The uh, the other thing I actually wanted to ask you guys real quick, we can we can all kind of give this a go, I guess, is right now for the Phillies, they're over under for wins this season is eighty point five. I would hammer the under. I would destroy the under. <laughs> like I'm going straight under. They got way too many questions. <laughs> well, yeah, and, that, and that, that's, that's what I was just kind of going to bring up. It's like, it, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, but yeah. <laughs> Jeff, I feel like you, you might go against the grain here. I'm, I'm right on that 80. Um, right now, that pitching, though, I mean, they've added some bullpen um, weapons, but we haven't seen them on the field yet. So going by the unknown, I would like the under as well. Um, just because, yeah, it's great on paper with that bullpen addition, but – if that bullpen doesn't live up to the, uh, I guess, not really a hype, but uh, to the improvements that we're hoping we're going to see, um, there's no way they're going to win more than 80 games. Yeah, I think, too, to a lot of the points we made is basically if everything went right for them, I would probably only have them at maybe 83, 84 wins. Yeah. And yeah. I think the probability of everything going right for them doesn't really exist. Oh, it's so you're low. You're going to have guys struggle through stretches. You're going to have guys miss time. You're probably going to go down a starter or two. And exactly. like, I don't trust the starting five as is. Once you then go to six and seven, having to make multiple starts in the rotation, it gets uh-uh. kind of ugly, and the division is really good good so i i don't buy them really sniffing 500 i think you might see what you see from them a lot of years where they hang around into june or july and then it just gets real the bottom falls out i think that's exactly what you're gonna see first half good start and then second half of the season just to collapse so that's gonna wrap it up for the first ever potals power hour i want to thank everyone who tuned in or who listens or who watches it after the fact i want to thank jeff Bobby and Rob for coming in and joining me. And uh, every week we hope to be able to bring you uh, a different roundtable of guests to talk about whatever their expertise is. So if we can get some guys on who want to talk Union, who want to talk Eagles, we're definitely going to do that tonight. We tried to make sure we utilized who we had here. So we've got some Sixers, some UFC, some Phillies, and some Flyers. So hope you guys enjoyed. Going to get you out of here. Thanks, Steady Picks and Vigit uh, for sponsoring the show. And thanks to AC Beer Fest, where we'll be in June for having us. Thanks to Anchor for being our our podcast platform and Twitch for us being able to host this. You can watch the show after. If you missed anything on YouTube or the audio will be available next day in your podcast feed, just look up Process Potables. For everybody else, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, and have a good night.